This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, returning back to Proverbs 19. We have a study today that's uh, really a follow-up to uh, something we discussed last week as we were looking at verses 18 and 19 and uh, spent the bulk of our time in verse 18 related to child training and related to a young person uh, to discipline your child while hope remains. And uh, then we moved on to verse 19. And uh, I had thought that maybe we would just get through it with a, a short mention and, and proceed beyond to verse 20 and following. But uh, in discussion with uh, some folks after class and answering some questions that came up uh, as a uh, in the course of discussing that, it really makes sense that we touch on it some more. So we'll use today to address some of those issues and make sure that we want to be biblical in all that we do, biblical in all that we say, biblical in all that we think, which means we want to have God's norms and standards with respect to the uh, circumstances of life that we ourselves go through and that we observe others go through as a consequence to um, to poor decisions. And that's something we'll have to deal with here today. All right, so before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, make sure that we are in fellowship, which is a marvelous thing. <laughs> Not only is it necessary to understanding spiritual truth, uh, the carnal mind cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, and so being in carnality doesn't help. But also, um, there's a personal subjectivity that gets in the way, too, sometimes when uh, we find ourselves uh, in thought processes that are not biblical. And so those are the things that have to be retrained. That's why we take every thought captive. That's why we um, we renew our minds, because that means we have to unlearn certain things and, and relearn things uh, as the word of God transforms us. And so let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask. Our Father's blessing upon this process, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your truth, asking, Father, for your blessings upon our time as we study to show ourselves approved. And, Father, we want to know what your word says, and we want to know what your word means, and we want to know what you expect for us to to do with uh, with what it is you've revealed. So, Father, uh, we pray for uh, clarity. We pray for open eyes, open ears, open hearts. Father, we pray uh, for an appropriate hermeneutic whereby we don't um, misinterpret what is plainly given, and that uh, we thank you that each one of us has the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that with humility we can receive the word implanted. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so, advancing our slides to where we left off, we don't need to go through the whole list because we've done a lot. This is what we've covered so far in uh, in chapter 19. And I think... We'll just pick it up here, because last week we were dealing with this from Proverbs 19.18. And I'll get my Bible back up as well. 
there's I think folks are happy to have the Bible verses there. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. And the point, as we listed it here in main point 12, child training instructive discipline is always hopeful. Hope remains while the son still lives. And the tandem of hoping and living is a part of the poetry there at verse uh, 18. So long as he's still alive, we still have hope because uh, hope and death are put in the in the parallel there, we desire the one, we don't desire the other. We desire for the child training instructive discipline to be effective. We do not desire the death. So hope remains while the son still lives. And we discussed the verb yasar, which is the verb behind musar. And we're very familiar with this. This is the, the, the child training instructive discipline. This is what the New Testament calls the nurture and admonition of the Lord the Paiduo and Paideia applications in uh, in the New Testament. I'm very familiar with this. Hope is the tikva, and this is what we were not familiar with. This is what surprised us. This is what jumped out at us is the use of tikva, the Hebrew noun that refers to hope in, in the Proverbs 19 context, but it refers to a cord in Joshua chapter 2, and that uh, Rahab was instructed to hang a red cord in her window and that cord that she was uh, instructed to hang in the window was the tikva, the very same noun. Tikva is a cord or tikva is hope. And uh, when we understand that hope is the tikva, hope is the tikva cord that hangs in your window. And we all should be hanging those tikva cords in our windows. All right. We don't have uh, spies that we're hiding or we don't have uh, a fear of uh, our city being destroyed and the need to be rescued. But we all have tests that we're going through, and we all have a positive faith statement that uh, that we're going to make in, in terms of God being faithful to do what He has promised to do. And so uh, we have to, we should be encouraged to make these positive faith statements as we claim the promises. So uh, there are promises in the Word of God, uh, promises that we can claim, and when we make those claims. Uh, it is in, in metaphor now as if we have tied the, the tikva cord to our window and uh, so that we can see it and that the whole world can see it, that uh, we are believers that are applying faith rest. And we have this hope in uh, the promises of God that he will do what he has promised to do. And so this is what we do when we train our children. This is what we do when we discipline our children. We are applying parental discipline in the hope that God will do what he has promised to do, uh, not um, in any kind of faith in ourselves, not in any kind of hope that that uh, that our discipline is going to change uh, our children's decision making or actions, uh, but that God will be changing our children's decision making and actions as uh, as the word of God takes hold in our in our children's life. So it's a neat recognition of tikva in uh, in a lot of ways. So anyway, that was last week. If you missed it, you, uh, you can go get it. It's on the website. MP3 is on the website, and the uh, the YouTube video is also on the website, and that uh, that is worth showing as well. In case you're not familiar with it, I know we're still making adjustments to the new things that we're doing. Let me get a let me get this up here too, where you can see it. Church website. And um, 
like you've always done before. You can always come here. You can select Proverbs for any class that you missed. And uh, the most recent ones will be at the top, but they're all on there. All 262 are sitting there. Go get whatever one you want. And uh, the one last week, to number 262, you can see the date there, April 1st. Go to 262. And not only do you have the MP3 there to listen to, like you've always been able to do, the MP3 is sitting right there. But there's also a link now at the bottom that says uh, Proverbs 262 YouTube video. And that's uh, that's a brand new feature of the website. We just started doing this with our new uh, procedures we're following in our uh, stay at home uh, procedures. So when you click on the YouTube video, this is what comes up. And uh, you can make it as large as you want. You can watch last week's YouTube video as well. I recommend um, if you don't want to manually try to find it every single time, you can just come here to the Austin Bible Church videos. This is our new uh, channel, YouTube channel, the Austin Bible Church videos, and uh, bookmark that, uh, subscribe. Come up here and subscribe to the channel. That way it'll show up under your subscriptions and uh, bookmark it. And anytime you want to come to uh, to see a, an Austin Bible Church YouTube video, it'll be there. Uh, we do have several playlists that are made up, including a Hebrews playlist, a Colossians, a Proverbs playlist. So that uh, that may help you sort your way through the videos that you're looking at as well. All right. Appreciate all of that. So that was last week. We're going to move on to this week. And this is verse 19. Verse 19 of uh, Proverbs 19. We'll read the verse first and then I'll give you my point. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. For if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. And uh, it's pretty profound. And it's it as most of the Proverbs do, it basically teaches itself. You can understand uh, the A part and the B part. They are uh, parallel, and in fact, they are synthetic because the first one leads to the second one, which is um, intensive, which is a, a greater statement. The B statement is greater than the A statement, and uh, the A statement leads to that B statement in uh, in the poetry. Uh, we'll talk about it some more today because... Uh, uh, as I mentioned, there's a greater application than anger. Uh, there's actually a variety of different circumstances that can lead to a penalty. And uh, there's also different kinds of penalties. Uh, there's the penalty of divine discipline uh, that God will apply to a believer. There's also civic penalties. There's criminal penalties. Uh, there are societal penalties. There are a variety of penalties that people will face. Uh, damage that gets done as a consequence of our of our actions, and so um, we uh, we do reap what we sow. We make decisions and we face consequences, and sometimes those consequences are, as I say, uh, divine discipline to our soul. Sometimes they are applied in temporal life. There are uh, consequences that uh, the government will administer in terms of crimes. There are consequences that our family will administer. Uh, when uh, when we have broken fellowship with uh, loved ones, when we've broken the trust of uh, of loved ones. So there can be marital consequences. There can be family consequences. There can be workplace consequences. Uh, there can be penalties in uh, in business life. 
uh, with a loss of, uh, of contracts or, or other uh, damage that gets done to, uh, to a person's business. So um, there's a lot to unfold uh, that just from this verse itself, and, uh, and we'll, we'll be doing that here this morning. The point that I wrote in main point 13, there is a critical difference between helping a brother in need and attempting to rescue one under penalty. And just painting two broad realms like that I find useful. This verse is not helping a brother in need. Okay, let's let's make that make sure we're clear on that to start with. Uh, this verse is not talking about helping a brother in need. Okay, plenty of Bible verses that address that, and uh, you've got your favorites. I've got my favorites. There's there's no shortage of scripture that tells us that when a brother is in need, uh, that it's our duty, it's our blessing, it's our joy to come alongside and to and to help that brother. Okay, uh, or that sister, as the case may be. Um, there's no question that that's, that's incumbent upon us, that God expects us to do that. That's not this passage, okay? There are other things that do happen besides uh, uh, brothers in need. There's also brothers under discipline. There's also brothers under judgment. There's also, uh, and, and, and when a brother's under discipline or under judgment, uh, then that's an, that's an entirely different uh, circumstance, and we have to know the difference. Uh, we, we recognize that we have an Ecclesiastes application because there's a time for this and there's a time for that. And uh, if we if we confuse our this and our that, then uh, we're going to be doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And that's uh, what, what wisdom literature would have for us to avoid. So uh, attempting to rescue one under penalty. That's what this verse is saying. Don't waste your time doing it. Because if you do it once, you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. You're going to keep on doing it. It never ends. Such a rescue does not help. And it never ends. And it can be the same person over and over again. Or it can also be multiple people. It can also be uh, once once um, it becomes known that uh, that that you're a, a chump who uh, who bails out uh, people in uh in in the wrong ways for the wrong reasons well then uh there's a long line of chumps uh i mean there's a long line of of uh users that are ready to come along and take advantage of of uh of such an easy chump and that's what uh, we have to be on guard against okay and i'm going to be careful i don't want to use inflammatory language uh but th- there are things to illustrate and ways to uh to make the message clear and uh hopefully we'll We'll accomplish that here um, this morning. First of all, let's start with the idea of helping a brother. And let's start with uh, when we're talking about with with anger. It's really uh, unfortunate that the word anger is there. Uh, it's it's not uh, off. It's chema. And these are the terms that are used in, in parallel a lot of times. Um, but we want to understand that it's not just it's not just the wrath that's being addressed. It's uh, what's parallel is the rescue for the one under penalty and the the clear statement, don't do it because you'll only have to do it again, that it's empty, it's vanity, it's useless. And uh, unless you want to live a life of, of Ecclesiastes, of vanity, vanity, all is vanity, then uh, just stop it now. Don't even do it once. Uh, because it, it, uh, it'll be more than once and it'll never end. So, 
Um, anyway, so the real emphasis is not on the wrath. When you're looking at the, the parallel terms and you're looking at the, the emphasis that the poetry is making, wrath is not uh, uh, the item that gets repeated. Wrath is simply the circumstance that leads to, that inescapably leads to the uh, the penalty. And that's what we'll see here next. But in any event, we can uh, quickly uh, run through these. Chema, uh, C-H-E-M-A-H is the uh, Hebrew. Strong's number is 2534. And it's used a lot. It's used 125 times, but it's not used nearly as often as af. The, the normal word for, for anger is, uh, is af, A-P-H. That's number 639. And that's not used in, uh, in uh, Proverbs 1919. In fact, it's one, it's one of only three places where hema appears in uh, Proverbs where it's not parallel with af. And so that, uh, that gets my attention as well. Uh, af is the usual word for anger. Uh, I've done many, many anger studies over the years. Uh, my personal studies, as well as uh, a handful of them that have also uh, <laughs> come across in the pulpit uh, for whatever series it was needed. Uh, but AF, uh, number 639, that has 277 uses, all right? And so the Bible says a lot about anger, and the Bible says a lot about wrath. And uh, both anger and wrath can be uh, sinful. Both anger and wrath can be sanctified. Because God himself uh, is, uh, has expresses anger. God himself expresses wrath. And God never sins. And so in the applications where God is the subject of af or the subject of chema, uh, they, uh, they're sanctified and, and not sinful in any way. And a lot of times they're parallel. And you'll notice that here on this point. As I listed, wrath is featured nine times in Proverbs. And I put a little asterisk next to six out of those nine occurrences. And in six out of those nine occurrences, uh, it is, uh, the poetry will, will put anger and wrath in parallel. And, uh, and which makes sense because a lot of times God applies his wrath, uh, to those objects, uh, with which he is angry. And, and, and you can expect that. That's true in Psalms. It's true throughout the Old Testament in, uh, in these different places. So, um, bringing these up then, and you'll see what I'm talking about. We'll start with Proverbs. <coughs> Let's go with the uh, ones that have asterisks to start. So I'll start with Proverbs 15.1. You might recall, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And uh, we spend a lot of time on this verse. It's a, it's a useful verse. Uh, we want to be able to, in our own applications, we want to uh, provide the gentle answer. We don't want to provide the harsh word. And this is where wrath and anger are in parallel. And so a gentle answer turns away hema, but a harsh word stirs up af, turns up anger. And these are the two expressions in parallel the way that they are. And the application is uh, is what it is and pretty easy to understand. We've taught it already. Um does not parallel, does not really address what we're talking about today, uh, whereby there is a, uh, a, a man of great wrath, and uh, this man of great wrath has come under penalty. And this man of great wrath is uh, under penalty, and so we're not going to have the same application there that we have here, whereby we think, oh, well, a gentle answer will, will turn that away. A gentle answer will make it all better. No, he's under penalty. 
And uh, the gentle answer will not make it all better. And we can't rescue him at this point. You'll see the difference in uh, 19.9. Completely different uh, context from 15.1. Also in Proverbs 15, lower down in the chapter, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger uh, calms a dispute. And uh, the hot-tempered man is the man of wrath, the ish chema, the man of wrath. And he stirs up strife. But the slow to af, the slow to anger, calms a dispute. And so, again, it's it's poetry. Uh, The terms wrath and anger are put in parallel. And that's very common. And I, I, I didn't go back and search through the whole Old Testament, but I think the ratio is, uh, is pretty close uh, to what we have here in Proverbs, where six out of nine uses are putting uh, Chema and Af in, uh, in, in parallel. All right. I'm going to pass by chapter 16 and chapter 19 for the moment. We're going to come back to those at the end. Let's look at Proverbs 21:14. A gift in secret subdues af, anger, and a bribe in the bosom, strong uh, strong wrath or strong chema. And so, again, the parallel is between anger and wrath. Wrath is stronger than anger. Wrath is usually the expression of something tangible that's motivated by the anger. Proverbs 22, 24. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. That's the chema. So don't associate with and don't go with. Now, those two expressions really speak to what we're going to talk about today is what happens when we are associated with uh, this kind of sin. What happens when we become partakers and when we rescue somebody, when we become uh, the facilitator for somebody's carnality, then we ourselves are also guilty of that carnality. We are a partaker of darkness. And so uh, this, this is a good proverb for that. Proverbs twenty two twenty four for showing the danger of that when you're associating with and when you're journeying with, when you're going with the chema. So we want to separate the associations and we clearly don't want to journey with the chema. The last uh, example then is going to be Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. The last example of wrath and anger in parallel is going to be in uh, Proverbs 29:22. The af, the angry man stirs up strife, but the chema, the hot-tempered man, abounds in transgression. All right, so they're in parallel as well. Um, it is interesting that the different translations for chema. Some a lot of times it's wrath. Once it's anger, uh, frequently it's hot temper. Because the uh, the the picture that Chema paints is a picture of heat. It's a picture of of uh, something that's boiling over. It's hot, and because it's it's heated, it's uh, out of control. Because it's heated, it's boiling over, and it and it touches something else. Okay. Uh, the the language of af is uh, it's a nostril. It's a snorting. If uh, if you're snorting, you're angry. You're snorting mad. That's the that's the imagery of af. But chema is heated, it's boiling over, and it's reaching something else. And that's what the wrath of God does. It boils over, and it reaches its target. Now, looking at the three places where chema appears not in parallel with af, we start to see uh, some interesting 
dynamics at, at, at work here as well. And so the first such use is Proverbs 634, where it says, uh, the man who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Remember this? The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense or is heart deficient. He who would destroy himself does it. That's why fornication is self-destructive behavior. Wounds and disgrace he will find and his reproach will not be blotted out. There are consequences, physical consequences and societal consequences for his for being a, an adulterer, for being a fornicator. For jealousy enrages a man. And there's a footnote there in rages. This is our term. It says, is the rage of. It is the, the wrath of. Jealousy is the wrath of a man. It is the chema. He will not spare in the day of vengeance. So it's not parallel with, with ath. It's not parallel with anger. It's, uh, it's not sparked by anger. It's sparked by jealousy. That's why you see it's, chema is a broader issue than anger. Chema can be sparked by a number of things, but Chema speaks to the heat, the boiling over, the out of control. It speaks to the uh, the believer or the unbeliever, whereby the emotions are in the driver's seat and uh, the uh, the consequences for such actions have reached the point of penalty. That's uh, what we're dealing with in, in 1919, and I hope that makes sense. So um, the other place is 1614, where Chema stands alone without the af parallel. And in this case, it's the Chema of a king. Not in a poetry whereby it's parallel with af, it stands alone. It is the Chema, the uncontrolled fury of a king is like messengers of death, the angels of death. How do you stop them? How do you thwart them? There's nothing you can do, but a wise man will appease it. A wise man will appease it. So returning now to 1919, a man of great Chema. And of all the places in Proverbs, nine times where Chema occurs, this is the only time that Chema has an adjective. That Chema is modified by the expression great. Great Chema, a man of great Chema, is under penalty. The penalty we're looking at is Lanesh. We have Lanesh and Lanash. Lanesh and Lanash specify a punishing fine, a tribute, or an indemnity. This is a very specific kind of penalty that the man of great Chema has found himself in. A man of great chema has, is under Lanesh. Okay? Lanesh or Lanash. Uh, the strongest number is uh, 6066, or the, uh, the verb is 6064. Uh, the noun is only appears twice anywhere in the Bible. The verb only appears eight times anywhere in the Bible. Uh, I've combined them into this verse list here to see the concept, to see the idea. Um, when we talk about penalty, that he's under um, judgment, that he's under punishing fine, he's under tribute, he's under indemnity. In other words, his out-of-control actions, sparked by emotion rather than thought, 
as the case may be. Um, the out of control actions of this man have brought him to a place of serious consequence. And you can't rescue him from that. You can't make it all better. You can't undo what has been done. It's like, how do you undo the adultery? You can't undo it. The the man that uh, is the victim of the adultery is not going to be satisfied. You can't pay a fine. You can't uh, uh, you can't bribe him. And this is the this is the issue here. So Lanesh, Lanash, and I think the uses to this also speak to how serious this is. Uh, that how do you make it better? How do you solve the problem? How do you um, how do you bail the person out or make it okay? That's uh, the idea here. So let's look at some of these, and I'll move the Bible up here so I don't block off the point, and we can still see what we're looking at. All right. And so starting with Exodus 21, 22, these are expressions that were known way back in under the law, comes back to the early part of uh, the Hebrew scriptures. So the usage is not obscure. It's pretty straightforward, actually. I think it's going to be the, it's not going to be the interpretation that, uh, that we're going to spend some time with today. It's going to be the applications that we're going to see here in a moment. All right. <clears throat> Keeping an eye on the clock, too, and I'm thinking, wow, can we do this all in an hour? Let's see. <laughs> Um, Exodus 21, 22, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely. So, uh, there's a fight and a pregnant woman in the area gets, uh, gets hit. And as a result of that, uh, action, um, she gives birth. Okay. It prompts the, the, uh, delivery of the baby. She gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. All right. So thank God the baby lived. Okay. That's uh, that's God's grace, because uh, the injury to the woman could have could have killed the baby and uh, could have done great harm. Thankfully, there is no injury, and so uh, we're we're happy about that. So, uh, nevertheless, there's going to be a consequence. He shall surely be fined. And this is our verb here, Anash, as the woman's husband may demand of him. So this is serious. I mean, the husband. Uh, and uh, as the husband demands, as the judges decide, he shall pay as the judges decide. We see that uh, th- there was out of control emotions. There was a fight. This uh, this man is going to pay a pay a price. It's going to be a steep price, and uh, and it's going to be set. But if there is injury, it uh, it's just so. I mean, we talked about in verse 22 how the baby lived, and we're thankful for that. But what if the baby doesn't live? Or what if there's an injury to the baby? What if there's an injury to the, to the woman? If there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn. This is the, the lex talionis uh, of, of, uh, of uh, ancient law. Burn for burn, wound, wound for wound, bruise for uh, bruise. So however way that baby is injured, that uh, the uh, the fine the uh, the tribute, the indemnity has to be applied. The ganache has to be applied. This man will have the ganache applied to him. And so uh, that's the issue there. 
And keep in mind, this baby in the womb is considered human, considered just like the woman, just like the man. And uh, whatever injury he sustains, the baby sustains, the uh, the person has to pay. All right. So that's the application there. Deuteronomy 22:19, and uh, accusing the girl of not being a virgin, and uh, he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel. Uh, she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. But if the charge is true that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring the girl out to the doorway of the father's house. The men of her city will stone her to death. So this is what premarital sex, the penalty for premarital sex. And uh, she uh, tried to keep it hidden. She thought that she could be passed off as a virgin in the marriage contract. And uh, now it gets exposed. Nope, she committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. That her uh, her premarital, which is non-marital sexual activity, is called harlotry. Fornication is harlotry. And she fornicated while under her father's uh, sovereignty. And so um, that is the great evil that has to be rooted out. And so anyway, the um, the fine. In verse 19, they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver. If she really was a virgin and he accused her of not being a virgin, then this is the indemnity. This is the tribute. And a hundred shekels of silver, let me tell you, that is, uh, that's a, that's a monster fine. And, and the father gets it. The girl's father gets it. Uh, he cannot divorce her all his days. This is, uh, a life sentence without the possibility of parole that there is no divorce option in, in this marriage contract. And uh, so that hundred shekels, the the father gets to keep that free and clear with no risk of of return, because um, that uh, there won't be a divorce situation in in uh, in that girl's future. All right, indemnity. See how serious that is. Second Kings twenty three twenty three or thirty three. I'm sorry. This is a national tribute. Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him at Riblah in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So here's a, a national tribute whereby Egypt is extracting a, a yearly penalty from, uh, I don't know if it was yearly, but at least extracting a penalty from uh, from Judah related to this. So you see how serious this is? And this is what Second uh, Kings, by the way, is parallel with Second Chronicles 36.3. We won't have to turn there or read that one as well. So uh, this is the kind of punishing fine, tribute, indemnity. It's a serious offense. There's no getting out of it. The uh, the person's expecting payment. If he doesn't get the payment, you know, Pharaoh's going to come and conquer you. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the husband of the woman who had the, the premature baby, uh, or if that baby is killed, uh, that husband's going to come and, and take it out of your hide. I mean, there's this, this, there, it's, it's not an optional thing. It's not a little traffic ticket. It's not a little minor thing. This is a serious offense for which there is societal, even national consequences. I'm trying to communicate what a big deal this Linesh happens to be. We saw Linesh already in Proverbs 17:26. It is not good to Linesh the righteous, uh, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness 
and uh, I didn't emphasize the uh, severity of the Lanesh. And at this time, uh, when I was teaching the poetry of verse 26 here, we were talking about how what happens when justice gets turned on its head, when the righteous are the ones that are fined, when the noble are the ones that are struck, when uh, when the uh, unrighteous are uh, when, when when your judicial system is perverted so that the righteous pay the fine. That's uh, that's upside down and it's wicked. And uh, I did not stress at that time, I should have, how serious that Lanesh is on this kind of a fine. Proverbs 19, 19 is our passage today. Uh, we'll come back to it again three more times. Proverbs 21, 11. When the scoffer is Lanesh punished, the naive become wise. That's how serious it is. When this kind of tribute, indemnity, uh, when this kind of uh, uh, punishment is assessed, it is a societal punishment on a scale that's more than just a, a typical minor thing. And even the foolish can wake up when they see that kind of punishment. And that's, uh, it takes a lot to wake up the, 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 the naive. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and reach Anash. They are punished for it. And this is what Proverbs 27, 12 says as well. A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and experience Lanash. They pay the penalty. So hopefully now that we've got a, a better appreciation for how serious Lanash is, uh, we'll uh, have a better appreciation for it when we get to chapters 21, 22, and 27. Because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's not a traffic ticket. It's not a minor little thing. It is something along the lines of a, a tribute being offered from one kingdom to the next. So, subpoint C then, rescuing a rightly find wrongdoer is useless and vain. You will do it over and over for him and perhaps many others. Rescuing a rightly find wrongdoer. If this person has reached the point of Ganesh, then there's no question that he's guilty. There's no question that the, the fine is severe, that the judgment is horrendous. And to try to rescue such a one, to try to get them out of it, to try to pay the penalty yourself, um, why would you do such a thing? All right. And uh, it, it's useless and vain. When it says you will only have to do it again, you see that you accomplish nothing, that, uh, that you paid this fine and accomplished nothing, and, and you've got to do it again. And here we go again. And so what you're really doing is you're experiencing the um, circumstances of the Ecclesiastes' useless life, as uh, I think Ecclesiastes 2 uh, highlights for us again and again. run through these pretty quickly as well in the same chapter by the way in proverbs 19:19, this uh if you rescue him you will only have to do it again uh we've got an expression that we saw earlier here we go it's it's a term of addition wealth adds many friends but a poor man is separated from his friend when we uh, we talked about this wealth adds many friends that term of addition 
we talked about how uh, you come into some money and now all of a sudden you've got more cousins and friends and neighbors and uh, hangers on and, and people are hounding you. And the reason why they're hounding you is because you got the bucks, you got the money. So wealth adds many friends. And that's not the kind of addition that uh, that that you want. That's not addition for blessing. And likewise, the same expression here in verse 19, you only have to do it again, is that same addition that's not for blessing. That is telling you that you're going to have that you're you're adding to the uh, to the penalty. You're adding to your payment of the penalty uh, again and again and again and again. And so it's not phrased in a positive way. Clearly, it's a negative way. And this is this is what the the whole um, perspective of Ecclesiastes centers on. Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, the futility of uh, of life without the Lord, the utility, the futility of a human viewpoint. And God allowed Solomon to write this uh, in out of fellowship. He allowed him to write this to communicate what the mind of darkness uh, perceives uh, without without truth, without walking in the light and having God's viewpoint on things. And so he's testing himself. Solomon says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too is futility. That just having a life of pleasure, a life of fun and games, and uh, it too is futility. It's empty. It's uh, what does it accomplish? What good is it? And so pleasure, the passing pleasures of sin, enjoying yourself. Well, how long does that last? And now you got to do it again. You got to do it again. You got to do it again. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? What does it accomplish? And this is the question. What does it accomplish? This is the question that sits underneath Proverbs 19.19. If you rescue this man, you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. What does it accomplish? And so when you're asking God what the will of God is, uh, you're not helping a brother. You're not blessing a brother. You're You're helping nobody. What are you accomplishing when you try to rescue the man that's under Nanash, the man that's under the fine? You're not accomplishing anything. And so it's it's frustrating and it damages your own soul for even trying it. For even trying it, it damages your own soul. All right. Get down here to verse 11. And he did everything. He did everything that you can imagine doing and he had the money to do it. All that my eye, verse 10 says, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, it was all vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. This is a hopeless and helpless life of human viewpoint where you don't see any point in anything. You don't see any purpose in anything. And if that's your attitude, if that's your mindset, you got to get rid of it. It's not good. You're living your own Ecclesiastes lifestyle. You got to dump that and start living the Proverbs lifestyle. Walk in wisdom. Don't walk in divine viewpoint or in human viewpoint. Down to verse 15. I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, so it will also befall me. And you start to see the tandem. You start to see the fate of the fool and your fate. 
you start to see that here's this man of great wrath and he's under the penalty, but you're the fool paying the penalty. Why are you doing that? So as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? Why am I paying this man's ganache? This, I'm not the man of, of, of great wrath. I'm not the man of tremendous chema. It's this other fool that's under chema. It's this other fool that's under the ganache, the fine. Why am I paying the fine? Am I bailing him out and he's going back again and again and again? Who's really the fool here? So I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. It's emptiness. And uh, you start hating life. Verse 17, I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. And you start to hate what you've stored up. You start to hate your wisdom, and you realize you're going to leave it to somebody who comes after me. Somebody else benefits to my hard work. And that's frustrating. And who knows whether he will be a wiser man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under under the sun. This, too, is vanity. So if somebody else has control over what you've produced, Ecclesiastes says this is vanity. That's not why God uh, blessed you in that regard. So rescuing the fool, rescuing the man of Chemash, rescuing uh, Chemash, excuse me, and uh, becoming a partaker with it. It is useless and vain. And it's going to take you, it's going to damage your own soul. It's going to get you to this point where you're going to start saying, why am I doing this for you? Why am I doing this for you? And it poisons your own mind where you're not even helping. And you don't even have the the right attitude to do any kind of help anyway when it comes to that. All right. More than that, beyond being the Ecclesiastes uselessness, more than that, it is an endeavor to mitigate the divine purpose for instructive correction. It is an endeavor to mitigate the divine purpose for instructive correction. The man of great wrath or the man of great jealousy or the man of great greed or the man of great whatever that has brought him to the chema out of control wrath, he has to learn. And what's going to teach him is this, is this ganache. It's going to be this fine. It's going to be this indemnity. It's this, this horrendous consequence. And if he doesn't pay this, if he doesn't learn from this horrendous consequence, he'll never learn. And if you bail him out where he doesn't have to pay this horrendous consequence, he'll never learn. Beyond that, stop and ask yourself, before this man reached this terrible place, how many other warnings had he received along the way? How much of God's discipline is on him already. And do I want to put myself in the position where I'm standing against what God is doing? If I, if, if God has put this, this person, this believer, unbeliever, whoever, if God has put this person under divine judgment, why am I going to take the other side? Why am I going to counteract that? It is hostility to the will of God and the purpose of God. If God is doing something and I'm working against what God is doing, what am I doing? Acts 5.39. This is Gamaliel saying, you know, if God is doing this, 
all the the Sanhedrin was all uh, up in arms about what Peter and and John were doing, and Gamaliel stands up and says, "You know what? If if this is not of God, then it'll be overthrown. We don't have to worry about it. And if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Do you want to be fighting against God?" When God puts a believer under discipline and, and you're going to try to mitigate that, you're going to try to counteract that, you're going to try to get them out of the discipline God put them under, what are you doing? It's hostility to the will of God. It's hostility to the purpose of God. Acts eleven seventeen. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? I would ask the same question. If you're trying to mitigate divine discipline, if somebody is under judgment and you're trying to mitigate that, you're trying to counteract what God's doing, you don't you don't want the person to learn the lesson God wants them to learn? What are you, what are you saying? Who are you to stand in God's way? Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say he has no hands? We can't quarrel with our maker. If God is putting somebody under ganache judgment, who are we? To tell God he's wrong? To, to make excuses? To, uh, to, to rescue somebody out of that? What are we doing? What are we doing? And this gets hard because we want to compromise. And, um, we want to compromise in different applications at different times, especially if it's family. We lose all of our objectivity. We become completely subjective if it's a family member. Remember, provision for someone else's carnality is to become a partaker in that carnality. If you're footing the bill, what are you doing? Make, it, scripture says, make no provision for the flesh with regard to its lust. And how many times are we making provision not only for our own lust, but for our brother's lust, for our brother's carnality? Romans 1.32, Ephesians 5. Are we making provision for somebody else's carnality? We shouldn't be. I think sometimes we are. Romans 1.32 are we going to give hearty approval? Those who practice such things are worthy of death. Not only do they do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. You know, we've got family members that are pursuing a uh, unbiblical lifestyle that's worthy of death. And we're going to give hearty approval. We're going to tell them it's okay. We're going to sanction what they're doing. And we're going to uh, pay for their darkness. We'll even underwrite it. We'll even subsidize it. Woe. Woe to us. Ephesians 5, 3. Immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you. That's the reputation. That's the association. Must not even be named among you. Do we have a reputation? Does our church have a reputation that we tolerate rebellion against the word of God? Or... Do we stand our ground and apply the word of God without favoritism? Verse 7, do not be partakers with them. 
because they're going to be the wrath of God is going to come upon them. There's the wrath. There's the chema in the Hebrew. Okay, the wrath of God comes upon them. Do not be partakers with them. Verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So here's our participation. Here's our vanity of vanities, Ecclesiastes, unfruitful deeds of darkness. Don't be participants. Don't pay for them. Don't join in them. Don't subsidize what they're doing. Don't bail them out of their judgment. Expose them. Stand for the truth. Verse 12, it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. They're doing things. We don't even want to talk about them. We don't want to talk about them. We don't want to think about them. Even even the discussion is a disgraceful discussion. That you, you limit yourself to having that discussion when you are defending truth and, and describing sin. But you certainly don't want to dwell on those realms of darkness. You can't fellowship in those realms of darkness. And you can't uh, you can't be a participant. You can't be a participant. If you're a participant, you are guilty. I encourage you. I'm not going to take the time. I don't have the time. How do I read all this? But you'll there's two good examples. Read through them. Read through them. I don't know. We could take another Wednesday, I guess. I can use the first part of next week maybe to look at Eli's subjectivity or David's subjectivity. In both cases, these were believers who should have known better. But they compromised. They compromised doctrine based on their sons. Hophni and Phinehas were terrible. And Eli put up with it. Absalom raped his own sister. Uh, I'm sorry, he did not. He murdered the boy that raped his sister. Anyway, um, David's subjectivity regarding Absalom. And, and there's more. There's plenty of examples. We've got biblical examples. We've got modern examples. We've got our own church examples um, whereby we uh, become partakers with the darkness when we try to rescue. and. Uh, you know, you're not helping a brother when you're rescuing and mitigating consequences. I think that's the biggest thing. Consequences are designed to change behavior. Consequences are designed to provide instruction whereby the thinking is, is modified. The, act, the behavior is changed. And, uh, and if you subsidize it, you get more of it. Behavior's not changed. Thinking isn't adjusted. You're just uh, validating it. You become, uh, you're accusing and excusing, and it's 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 sad the way these things happen. All right. Well, um, I can open it up for questions if if uh, you want to unmute your microphone and ask a question about this, or if you want to type a chat question, I can read it. I can either listen or I can read, and uh, and I think you know, and I know it's hard. And, and I know that believers can, can make different decisions for different reasons. Posting bail and getting family members out of, out of jail or, uh, paying for other consequences of crimes and sins. And, uh, 
you have to make those kind of choices as under the Lord. Are you doing, you can do the right thing in the right way, but you can also do the right thing in the wrong way. And uh, of course, the wrong thing in the wrong way. You can never do the wrong thing in the right way. Don't say, well, my heart was in the right place. Yeah, but you still did the wrong thing. And I don't think your heart was really in the right place if uh, you were doing the wrong thing because of your subjectivity and compromise. Does that make any sense? All right. I'm not seeing any questions. I'm not seeing any notes in the chat window. Here's one. The answer is yes. That makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, tonight's also a question and answer night. So if you think of something between now and then, you can bring it up tonight. We, I know we had another question on Sunday that I want to answer tonight as well. Uh, we had a visitor that was asking about Hebrews 10. A divine judgment for believers and unbelievers. Yes. It could be for both, could be for either. The point is, if God is at work, why am I opposed to what God is doing? And uh, then you have to ask yourself, uh, is God at work in what this person's experiencing? And those questions kind of uh, answer themselves. How can we tell if they are under discipline? Yeah, should be pretty obvious if you if there's any question about it. Uh, in other words, if they're claiming to be an undeserved suffering Job kind of person, they never they didn't bring it on themselves. Yeah, we don't want to be the the critics. We don't want to be the the three friends that come along and start blaming them for what they're doing. But I believe uh, asking ye shall receive, seeking ye shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. I believe uh, if you want to know the will of God, you you will know the will of God. It's uh, it's pretty self-evident. The ganache is not is not uh, obscure. It's pretty self-evident that uh, you know uh, that he's reaping what he's sown. Good questions. All right, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray for wisdom to make the appropriate applications. Uh, keep us, Father, from becoming partakers with darkness. I thank you and I praise you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.